talking back. Welcome to Decision Space, the only show to take place right here in the space between the turns in your favorite games. I'm Jake Friedman. And I'm Brendan Hansen. And this is the podcast about decisions in games. Today, we're diving into Evolution's Climate, an engine building game that simulates an ecosystem on your table. First, we'll talk about what we've been playing lately in a quick What's On Your Mind segment. Now, back to the front of the show. (laughs) And then we'll briefly talk about the whole Evolution family of games, which is growing more extensive by the minutes. Uh, A a new species is sprouting off every every year or so. And then we'll rocket right into our deep dive, what you come to decision space for and explore the climate system, the politics, card advantage, tempo agency, and much more in our signature deep dive format. Brendan, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Jake. I've been playing some new games recently, which always makes me excited. So I'm just going to get straight into the what's in my mind. With my what's in my mind segment is Calico. This is a game that I picked up off the heels of snagging a copy of Cascadia earlier this year before it went into a period of time where it's really hard to find copies. So I picked up Calico and I've played it three times now. Uh, In my household, we're now calling Cascadia the elk game and Calico the kitty game. And I have to say, I think I enjoy the Elk game more, but it might be biased because I've played the Elk game significantly more. Calico is a game that is a little bit similar to Cascadia in feel. They're both uh, tiling placing games in which you're sort of each turn, you're making a simple decision between a few different tiles that you want to take and add to your own personal player space. Um, The goals in the game are significantly different, though, and Calico's goals are a lot more puzzly. It's a little bit more crunchy of a game, and there's a lot more potentially feel-bad moments where you're snagging something that the other player really wants, um, which can be exciting, but can also be a little bit frustrating. I've also found the setup of Calico a little bit finicky for its weight class, but I want to keep playing it. My wife, Maya, wants to keep playing it. Uh, so we'll keep jamming on it and see if the kitty came can muster uh, some of the depth and joy that we found in the Elk game. How are you doing, Jake? I know you've been playing a lot of games lately. I'm I'm doing great, and I have been playing a ton of games lately, which has been really awesome. Last week was kind of my birthday week, and I used that to full advantage to uh, both play games with my wife, but also I organized like a little uh, personal game day uh, on Saturday, thinking just with the you know, COVID pandemic still ongoing. It's really spiking in our area uh, with the Omicron variant, which is now sort of receding, but still felt just a little too risky to try and get a bunch of people into one space at one time. So in not to be deterred, I instead scheduled games with a single group of people several times throughout the day. So starting at 1030, I had a group of friends there. uh, and, And by the time we wrapped up that first game of Dune Imperium, the Feast for Odin Norwegian's crew had arrived and and we kind of jumped straight into that. And it all, all told end up being, you know, pretty, about 12 hours of consistent gameplay, only stopping for meals and stuff. And it's been a while since I've got to just devote an entire day to playing games. And it was a ton of fun. When you first told me this, I was I just had the biggest smile on my face because it's the best birthday flex of like using your birthday advantage ever of like what's better than a bunch of friends coming over for game day. I could just have a 12-hour game day in which I schedule different <laughs> friends coming and going at specific times. Because you know, sometimes you have friends who aren't into games as much as you, they run out of gas. So what does Jake do? He just makes sure he has new friends with full tanks of gas to show up at the door. It's so great. 
Uh, yeah. What do you all play? So we so here's the game day. We started. Uh, Paul Solomon came over first, uh, and we played a game of Caesar, which is like a brand new, uh, I guess, area control game in that re-implements Blitzkrieg, which mm. I th- which yep. I think like Blitzkrieg is like you know Polymore simulate again. civil or sim- simulate World War II in 30 minutes, and this is like simulate like Fall of Rome or something in 30 minutes. Um, and it's really cool. It's like a box and dot game, basically, where you're claiming lines bordering territories and whoever claims the last edge of a territory gets the reward for what's in the middle. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of placing your dots all out uh, across the board uh, and sort of trying to force your opponent into making difficult choices. There's a lot more to it than that, but it's sort of the gamified version of that game that we've all sort of played just like on a pad and paper in our notebook. and math class in seventh grade or whatever um so that was cool then we went right into dune imperium miles bensky came over to play with us as well uh and this was my second game of dune imperium it was a really really epic game in that paul was definitely about to win uh to get to 10 points i pulled out a couple of intrigue cards forcing a tie putting us into another round of game. And then Paul was about to win again. And once again, I was there to stop him. But sadly, I was too far off the pace. So all my efforts just ended up handing the win over to Miles, who was sort of just like there and just, you know, wisely positioned himself to just be getting enough points throughout the game without really being like uh, at the pivotal battles or or whatever. It's just a really fun game. It kind of dragged on a little Mm. bit long. I think we were expecting about two hours and it ended up taking us about three hours to play a three-player mm. game. I get the appeal to it. It's just like a really fun game, lots of exciting moments. The worker placement is tight. Lots of people taking spaces that somebody else desperately needs. Uh, and then you get to do a really like simplified battle system at the end where you still get to you know bluff and double bluff and do your battle cards but it's all simplified and distilled down just to a singular moment at the end of the round so it doesn't take too much time when there's no moments of like you're sitting back bored while two other players are like resolving a complicated conflict Mm. Uh, so there's definitely a lot going for it a game i want to continue checking out though i think in the comparison that will always and forever be between uh Lost Ruins of Arnak and Dune Imperium of both being this kind of worker placement deck building game. So far, I still fall on the Arnak side of things um, just because I think I like the snappier gameplay, just like mm. easier to get to, to the table with more different people. Um, then after that, they took off. We played Feast for Odin with the Norwegians expansion. I think this one has just recently come on to beta. So I don't, a board talk- game arena oh yeah b- beta of board game arena so i don't want to talk too much about it now I-, I have a feeling it might be one we'll be covering on this show in the future but you know it just truly is like if you're a euro game enthusiast i think a feast for odin is like the most epic like worker placement euro game experience you can have um, and especially with the norwegian's expansion which just kind of like ramps everything up to 11 super super fun game with everyone kind of going in completely different directions and scoring was really tight at the end. I did manage to win that one, which was super fun. And then the last group of people came over. My brain was totally fried. So we started out with a round of So Clover, my sort of go-to party game of choice. It was a blast again. 
it's the kind of game where it's just super fun to show to people yeah you know uh and then you just play it like once or twice i don't think i would want to spend a whole night playing so clover after i had like a my first experience of playing so clover all night and having fun uh, but now it's like it's just such a treat to like show people watch them explore the system and then you can move on to something else and the last game of the evening was cascadia i've paul brought it over his copy to loan to me so that i can play it so we can cover it on this show so i got my kind of first it's actually my second play ever but my first play in my own place we had a four player game of it i thought nice. i was absolutely crushing everybody at the table i thought it was my game for sure everybody was way behind and i ended up coming in second place so that was really exciting and fun and the person who won it was sort of a mutual friend uh and not like a somebody who has enjoyed games but not like a big gamer and he ended up winning the game and just like absolutely had the best time ever and it was sort of one of those moments where after the game I was like pulling out the other scoring cards. He's like, let me see those. Oh, that's so cool. Like, oh, it's different every time, you know? And I could like tell, you know, he's he's going to be Googling this game later and, and trying to pick a copy up. So it was all in all an awesome game day and a super fun experience. So thank you for letting me talk a little bit about it and sort of relive it here in yeah. this segment. No, absolutely. It sounds like an amazing birthday. And I'm surprised you even made time for food. Because right. that's a lot of amazing game playing. Um, you were sharing some pictures, too, of the different games that you were playing in our Discord. And I have to say, Feast for Odin on the table, even larger than I expected. It's not one I've gotten seen on the table, at least with the Norwegians expansion added. It's just huge. Yeah, it is so crazy. Like, we have kind of like a, you know, a pretty big dining table. Like, four people could sit very comfortably. You could definitely do six people at the table for, like, a dinner party, no problem. and we've set up the game it covers every inch of the table to the point where people were like having to like maneuver things around just to have like a coaster and like coffee on the table with us uh and then um my wife bridget cooked us some curry udon noodle soup which is like my absolute favorite Mm. thing and we were going to eat that and then we realized like we there's no way we could like eat at this table because it's just like completely full so we had to take it down to like the gaming table in the basement there was like eating on the gaming table because the dining room table was filled with games it's just just funny that's fantastic yeah it's a table hog for sure but man it's awesome oh so good all right brendan with that out of the way thank you for indulging us or as always uh you can just hit the time stamp to skip ahead so i hopefully you did that if you do not care about what's on our mind so we can now get into our feature topic which is evolution climate i guess before we do that we should say for pre-planners next week is what we talk about episode uh and following that we haven't exactly ironed out exactly what game to play so let's just leave it there and we will tell you next week what to be playing for the upcoming episode awesome all right so brendan as we always do let's get into our ratings and slogans for evolution climate you are up first Okay, to anchor my thoughts on evolution climate, I'm going to start with the Charles Darwin quote. A man who dares to waste one hour of time has not discovered the value of life. I don't feel my time with evolution climate was a waste, but I'm still not sure I've discovered the true meaning of life. Evolution climate is bombastic, thematic, and biting, though flawed. Its card play leaves something to be desired, and while its table politics can be sort of interesting and fun, uh, the way you interact, its systems leave something to be desired. With regards to the substance of its decisions, round after round, six out of ten. 
Wow, Brendan, we've done it again because I'm also giving Evolution Climate a six out of ten. I like in my heart, I knew you were gonna give it a six. So <laughs> I almost went first. But I feel like the exact same way. I, I think Evolution Climate is an awesome thematic system. I think that is its biggest strength. It does such a good job of simulating the material that it is trying to present in a yeah. way that makes intuitive sense. It's it's kind of like magic cards in the best sense where you first learn about the mechanic of flying where it's like a flying creature can't be blocked by another flying creature of course that makes intuitive sense uh, and it's fun when you start getting that and start clicking and i love the trait cards and you know how they work in that same way when a creature a species i should say learns the trait climbing and it can't be attacked by a predator unless that predator can also climb it's like, of course, that makes intuitive sense. And I think, and it also works as a mechanism in the game to create like rich and interesting uh, decisions at times. So I think like thematically, it's a total slam dunk. But what we love, right, is the decisions. Is like picking apart, apart the theme, getting into the core of the game. What are you doing on a turn? Is it interesting? And I feel like for me, it just falls short of being a game that I really like to make the decisions in and like in, in existing in the decision space, um, which I can reserve for like games that I, I would give a seven and higher to. Um, and, and it ends up being a game that I'm fine with. I'd be happy to play if somebody was really enthusiastic to play it, but I don't think I'll be seeking out a ton more games of evolution climate. Yeah. Well put Jake. Very well put. But I think it will be, you know, fruitful to get in as we delve into this discussion of why we feel this way. And like, what about the system leaves something about the decisions to be desired and why the game and the decisions that are there might really appeal to a certain group of players. And there are a lot of people out there that have helped to make this game a huge success. For the game background, uh, this game is designed by Dominic. I think it's Dominic, Dominic Krapuchets. Thank you, Brendan. Dominic designed Wits and Wagers, Say Anything, and then other games in the Evolution series. Uh, it is also designed by Dimitri Knore uh, and Sergei Machin, who uh, are both credited just with this game design. The first Evolution was published in 2016 by North Star Games and plays two to six players. Awesome. So let's talk a little bit about some of the other games in the series just to help people kind of give them a foundation about what's been going on with Evolution and where Evolution Climate fits in. Yeah, so Evolution was first published, I believe, in 2014. And this is sort of the base version of Evolution that has a lot of the cards that we see present in the game that we're focusing on today, Evolution Climate. Then in 2016... Evolution Climate came out, and it was a sort of expansion, but also standalone expansion that added a bunch of traits that specifically tied into the climate system, uh, which changes the environment of the ecosystem that you're playing in, making it hotter or colder, adding some events that added some additional complexity. And it also added those icons to all the cards previously in the base game. But Evolution Climate really builds on what came before it in Evolution. Then in 2020, uh, Oceans was released. This is, a, I think, a big favorite among people who have a lot of experience with all of these games. Uh, Oceans has a, uses similar systems, but has new cards and also adds this special depth deck that uh, has some creepy crawly creatures from the deep that really change up the feel of the gameplay. It also adds some interesting partnership, like neighbor mechanics, where you're interacting more with the player on your left and your and your right that aren't present in Evolution or Evolution Climate. Uh, and now, recently announced, 
there's going to be a new Kickstarter for a new version of Evolution called Evolution New World that's coming uh, in 2022. Yeah, and that that'll be on Kickstarter. So if we what we say in this episode interests you, you can definitely check that out. I think if it were up to me, uh, and you know there were no other variables at play, Oceans would have been the game I would have most preferred to explore in this episode. Mm. I've kind of heard that Oceans is the evolution that's like more for serious gamers and like. Mm card gamers i would still definitely want to try that if given the chance it's like just completely beautiful as well and the depth cards make it seem i don't know maybe just like that extra punch of of strategy or something along those lines but i did want to say the reason we are focusing on evolution's climate in this episode at least in part is that we were uh kindly invited to be beta testers on the app uh and got early access to uh, the Evolution Climate app, which is also now available, uh, where you can check out the game there as well. So that was really kind of the impetus for covering this game and also for focusing on Evolution's climate. And I will say the app implementation of this game, it also has the base game, uh, is awesome. I found it really easy to get in and learn how to play Evolution and Evolution Climate. Uh, and the games are pretty snappy. Awesome. So let's go into Brendan's rules overview now to give you a better idea of how to play this game. And then we'll get right back into our discussion of the decisions in evolution climate. Evolution Climate is a card-driven, tableau-style engine-building game in which players simulate an ecosystem at their table. The winner of Evolution Climate is the player who's eaten the most food at the game's conclusion. Food comes in two forms, plant food, collected from a shared pool in the center of the table, or meat, collected by chomping on and directly knocking down other players' species after turning their own species into carnivores and going to town on the other players' tableaus. The primary components in Evolution Climate are multi-use cards, each of which has three key features. First, it has an evolution, a special trait that can be used to enhance one of the player's already developed species. This might make it a carnivore, enabling it to eat other players' species at the table instead of eating plant food from a shared pool in the center of the table. It might give them a long neck, making them more effective at eating plant food, or perhaps give them climbing, protecting them from carnivores who can't themselves climb. These traits are vital to the decision space of Evolution Climate and to build your engine of species. Second, every card has a food value. At the start of each round, players contribute one card from their hand to the center of the table face down. The plant value on the card might be negative or positive and communally dictates how much plant food is added to the shared pool of plant food for the upcoming round. Third, every card has a climate icon. Like food, each card played will impact if the environment is pushed warmer or colder. This might make the environment more hospitable for smaller or larger creatures, decreasing the population of those that aren't well adapted or remove additional plant food to the shared pool for the upcoming rounds, or it could even trigger a tumultuous climate event if the climate pushes down to one end of the cool slash hot spectrum. Playing a card to the center of each round becomes an interesting decision point as players weigh the implications of the food value, climate icons, and the fact that the card they play won't be available to them for modifying their species. At the start of each round, players draw four cards and one additional card for each species they have. After playing a card to the center, players then modify their species with the remaining cards they have in hand. They can modify already existing species by using cards as traits, or they can discard cards to increase a species population, increasing the amount that it can eat on a turn, and must eat to prevent a decrease in population at the end of the round. It can increase its body size, potentially keeping it safe from carnivores smaller than it, or changing how it interacts with the environment, 
And finally, they can discard a card to create a new species at the table in front of them. A game of evolution concludes after the round in which its trait deck runs out, at which point players conduct a small final scoring round, uh, scoring their species and adding that value to the food they've eaten alongside all the traits on their species at game end. And they receive one point for each food they've eaten throughout the game. And the player with the most points is declared the victor. Welcome back to the show from Brendan's amazing, as always, rules overview. He outdoes himself every single week, uh, you know, but hey, if we're not getting better, we're not trying, right? That's what we always say. <laughs> it's, it's true. If we're not getting better, we're not trying, which is what I found myself having to do with this game quite a bit, actually. <laughs> get get better, specifically. Yeah. yeah. And I found myself not trying. Um, so <laughs> that's like just the two different perspectives. We covered all the bases. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> So let's get into this uh, with our kind of patented decision space overview and cover uh, the things that make up the decision space of this game, such as the size, type, feel, and clarity. Let's start with the type. And I think it's pretty clear in this one, but I want to know, do you agree that this is a dynamic decision space? I do, especially because of the climate system, which for me adds a lot to the decisions in the game, just seeing which direction the game is going to put you in. If it's going to be a really hot climate and you're going to have way more food on the table, or if it's going to be a cold, much more restricted, tighter game, I think the ability for games to feel fundamentally different and that filter acts as a lens through which you have to filter all your decisions is really impactful in this game um and it is dynamic just based on what's going on at the table the cards that you have access to um all of that yeah i agree so the actual board is and we'll get into this a lot more but like what's actually happening on the table in front of you is tremendously dynamic in this game especially in the climate as you mentioned i think potentially you can get into like a uh, environment that is more stagnant more easily in the base evolution game mm. but with climate with the uh, temperature rising and falling dramatically wiping out your species left and right as you mentioned taking away food it's pretty common that you might find at the midpoint in the game yourself with no species on the board and like a huge card fill or a huge hand filled with cards because of you know, some really nasty evolu or uh, really nasty climate-based event that's just taken place. Uh, and there, you know, you have basically hit reset on the game and are starting from square one, but with a ton of options on how you want to rebuild uh, to sort of re-attack the little mini uh, climate. All uh, right, I guess ecosystem is probably the word I should use. The ecosystem that is developing on the board versus you might have already a really strong board situation with a ton of species out and only a few cards in hand. And really all you want to do on your turn is just grow your population or grow the size of your species. So to me, and the fact that there's no real consistent uh, arc of the game, you know, that could happen turn two or three when you lose everything in startup, or it could happen right towards the end of the game. Uh, so I think like the fact that you have this range of potential choices on your turn from almost nil to just like a, a huge tangled web to wade through as you decide what cards to use as species, what cards to use as traits, and so on and so forth. Like that is sort of to me like the quintessential of dynamic decision space. 
And it is pretty fuzzy, too, in terms of how clear the decisions are, I would say, at any given point in the game, just because of the uncertainty around uh, what the table is going to look like at the beginning of the next round, what traits different players are going to add, how much food is going to be in the system, right? Which direction the climate is going to go. So when you're making those decisions, you might have a sense. And I think that because any one player's ability to impact those things is limited, it's the sum total of everyone's contribution to the food or to the climate that's going to push the direction one way or the other. That's what creates that sort of uh, politicking that can happen in physical plays that I would say you and I don't have as much experience in. And I think in terms of playing in the app and the specific decisions on my end made me feel a little bit frustrated. Um, You could get a sense for which way the table wanted to go just based on the way that these species were developing. Um, But for me, led to a a little bit of desire for a slightly more agency overall. Though, I guess in terms of a thematic victory, it's huge. And I think that's the thing about evolution climate that stays so strong to me is the thematic delivery of this idea of simulating an ecosystem on your table through evolution, because that it does so, so well. Do you want to just touch on kind of our theme system here? Sure. Yeah, let's get into it. Uh, So we've talked in a previous episode uh, about how theme can kind of take place in three different ways. You've got your environmental theme, mechanical theme, and the decisional theme or decision theme. Uh, And I think this game really is one that we would call high, high, high. It's strong in all three categories. And I do think there's something about games that do accomplish that mark of being highly thematic in every aspect of the game that in and of itself is going to appeal to a lot of players i think it is especially the one thing it does so well to for me that you don't see as many games doing is that last type of theming that that you call decisional or a gentle right like how much do you feel like you're doing what you're supposed to be doing at the table within the theming of the game and i would say when you turn your species into a carnivore and you're devouring other players species you feel like a carnivore and that interaction uh can feel mean and when you are playing a bunch of smaller species at the table i think you feel a little bit of the vulnerability when carnivores start to appear and it puts you a little bit more as feeling like the agent that you're simulating on the table and that's really cool um and yeah the environmental art the presentation of it is great and like you already touched on the mechanical theming every time you read a card you're sort of like okay yeah i this system is just complex enough that it has lots of room for these different mechanics uh, to express themselves mechanically and they make sense. Even beyond just like the carnivore, it's really to me like every trait uh, sure. works in that same way. And in the uh, climate aspect of the game ties into that really well. Like when you put on the heavy fur trait or whatever to your, to your species, cause it's like getting cold, you know, it's like, I, yeah, like there it is. Like that to me is, a decision theme slam dunk. Yeah. Right. You're doing the thing in the game that like intuitively makes sense. It all fits in mechanically. It fits in strategically. Uh, And then of course the game is like presented in a way where you can understand what's happening. Um, So yeah, I think we're really firing on all cylinders there thematically, but I do want to return back to what you were talking about the clarity of the game and feeling almost too fuzzy. I think that is probably also my biggest criticism with the game, uh, just from my own experience. And I think that ties into how dynamic 
the decision spaces as well. And when you have a game, I'm curious your thoughts on this, but I think like when you have a game that is highly, highly dynamic and also extremely fuzzy, you know, it can create when pushed too far, you know, at the end of that spectrum at both sides, like it does create a system where your choices don't mean anything. Mm. And I'm not saying that's the case in this game. I'm just saying like, hypothetically, you know, as those two factors like approach the extreme, like your decisions potentially feel like they don't mean anything because A, like the decision space is so foggy based on what everybody else is doing uh, that you can't possibly predict anything and therefore make a meaningful choice. And if the decision space is like changing and being disrupted at such a high rate, uh, then similarly, you don't, whatever you do is not very meaningful because it is likely to be in a completely different situation by the time you're making another meaningful choice. And I don't think that this game gets all the way to that end of the spectrum, but I do think it like approaches that to an extent uh, that it starts to rub me the wrong way. Mm. Does that make sense? It totally makes sense because I think sort of summarizing what you're saying, the amount of information that you have just turn to turn feels pretty low because you don't, the moments in which you're trying to make these even impactful swings with, I'm going to play a, a card with a ton of food on it or a card with a bunch of climate icons that might really push it in one direction or the other. Oftentimes those don't even end up impacting it to the degree that you wish it did. Um, so you can have games that make the most of, of randomness, right? That like, We love games like that typically. Um, but I think for me, it's so, it, it is frustrating that it sort of has pushed the spectrum as far as it has to the point where the interaction that's there feels negative and uh, I don't I don't know. At the same time, I'm sure a more skilled player is able to make yep. better decisions more often. So that's not at all what I'm saying that there's like no skill in this game where it's even too luck dependent, but I think it's more that like I start to feel like my decisions like don't matter as mm-hmm. much as I wish they did combined with the fact that the decision space is so fuzzy that I feel like making a good decision for me, just with the amount of other inputs is like bordering on impossible. I guess I should hop in to say that I do. I completely agree. And I will say the more I play this game, the more I realize how important reading the board state was, how important trying to um, sort of be the architect of extinction events, using the climate system to, to your advantage became really interesting. But I think in the term to turn decisions, I I completely find myself agreeing. And this isn't, of course, like inherently, this isn't a bad thing. And I think there are a lot of people that actually will love this aspect about this game. And I think uh, one of our Discord members, Joe, is like a huge fan of this game. And what he loves most, or I shouldn't speak for him, but one of the things that he's really advocated for about this game is how that system, like this type of decision space, really leads to... A, a system where even if it isn't like explicitly part of the game, like politics becomes a lot more important because mm-hmm. the more you can talk to people at the table uh, to get insight about what direction they're going or like, hey, like we're about to have this like huge ice event that's going to wipe out all our species. Come on, y'all, like let's put in uh, a sun, you know, to raise the temperature so all our species don't die. Uh, And I think like people that want really get a lot out of that banter at the table, like want to 
play a game in which they can use their adaptness at talking to opponents and uh, manipulating them to, for lack of a better word, to do things that's going to benefit themselves more than their opponents uh, and sort of enjoys those games. And I, I think like this type of very fuzzy, very dynamic decision space actually suits that type of gameplay and that type of enjoying games very well. Why do you think that is, Jake? Do you think that most of that is because so much of the skill in that is your ability to assess a board state and convince other players of what the board state is and how it's going to be advantageous to them or not uh, as it goes certain directions? I, I feel like that's there. And then also the degree to which your cards, when you play them, affect the system. Those two things come together to really impact it. Though it's not like the board state gets horribly complicated or busy in evolution climate either. I think because of how dynamic the board state is, it enables that political sort of mm. play to come sure. to the forefront. If you have a game that's moving more incrementally, um, then I think it just doesn't matter as much and there's more opportunity for people to adjust course yeah. where here you know they're all you know it's like poker in a sense where you're you have an opportunity to make a bet uh where it's like right now everybody's putting in one card and that card collectively is going to determine whether things get colder or hotter or stay the same uh so you there's like the these opportunities where huge decisions are going to really impact things a tremendous amount um, that can like shift the game state so much more than where if you're, you know, if you're playing a game, like, I don't know, castles of Burgundy, you know, sure. You can like talk to people at the table, but every single turn is just an incremental thing where anyone can at any point sort of like reverse course and say, actually, you know what? I am not mm, going to leave yeah. you alone on the yellow tiles. If you're going to leave me alone on the brown tiles because of these dice and the way they came out. So I'm just going to switch that up where in climate, you just make these few decisions and then things like automate and like play out in a way. Sure. Uh, yeah. So I think that's part of it. And then is l less opportunities to sort of reverse course before like the damage is done. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and then the other part I think is because it's so fuzzy, like everybody is, I think looking for ways to cut through that fuzz and I think that makes people want to make deals and communicate more, even if it's not like explicitly like, you know, you can't trade traits in this game or anything sure. like that. Like, even if it's not like explicitly in the rules, it's like, it does make you want to say like, all right, like nobody's going to like, you're not putting out a predator, are you? Like, you wouldn't do that, would you? You know, like it kind of like fosters that situation because like any little bit of information that you can glean through that dialogue and, you know, communicating with other players at the table is just incredibly important where in so many other games that we talk about that are more like traditional euro point salad games uh you can intuit so much more information about the board state that you know you can talk to people fine but it's probably not going to change you from doing the move that you can tell is already most likely going to be valuable for you Totally. Where here, you have no idea like if what you're doing is valuable. It feels like on almost any turn, uh, unless you've already got like a really strong base setup, yeah. whatever you do could really just totally blow up in your face, depending on what other people around the table are doing. 
I think it's such an important point too, Jake, just as we're sort of untying this knot that you just made of the the way in which the decisions bottleneck in a way, right? Where everyone has that simultaneous card play to the center. And I found those were so interesting. And that's really partially what I hear you saying is that's what's enabling sort of the ability for there to be politicking. Because if it was more incremental, there's it, it would make it more clear what was going to happen as people played cards. And you'd have more information to act on. But the fact that you're all making that decision simultaneously, the decision space bottlenecks down where you all are making a blind decision together, then you have it open up again, you mess with your species, then you do feeding and do it all over again. It's sort of sort of this interesting shape where it you know, funnels down really tightly in terms of the decision space, then it opens up again, and then it funnels again, and then it opens up again and funnels again, um, which you feel it in the pace of the game too, as you're playing it. I'm realizing that a lot of games have this very similar sort of, you know, I want to compare it to a game of poker, mm. uh, another game that, you know, has a lot of politics, but doesn't involve direct politicking, where in the phase where you're playing your species, and traits like face down to the table, like deciding what you're going to do. And you do that all at once before it moves on to the next player. It kind of feels a little bit to me like a game of poker where you're looking at your hand and then like, am I checking? Am I folding? Am I raising uh, people at the table based on like sort of what I have available to me? And then there's this reveal mm-hmm. uh, and I, where everything then is sort of out of your hands at that point. Um, and I think I, I think like those combinations combined do create a system that feels like a rich playground to politic with each other. Though, of course, this is sort of what I'm intuiting from the system, plus from word of mouth from Joe, not that I've actually experienced this game on the table myself. Yeah. One thing that struck me about the game that I was really surprised about, Jake, is because when everyone talks about evolution in the system, it's always, this is an engine building game. And it is an engine building game, right? You're all trying to most effectively create the best tailored system for the environment and the ecosystem of other species at the table to get food. That's the game. It's an engine building game. But unlike so many of the other engine building games that we've covered on the show that are oftentimes about this positive agency feedback loop, right? You do things that build your engine that allow you to do even more on future turns. Um, and it gets you more agency in doing that. There is some of that in evolution climate, but I would say that's less the focus of this engine builder and the focus of evolution climate as an engine builder is about how you tailor your engine for the table, right? Because there's that, it's a limited pool of resources that you're going after opposed to something like maybe underwater cities, a a classic engine building game that we've covered on the show previously and both really enjoy where you're building your personal engine. And there's an infinite supply of say food in that game, plant food of kelp, as much as you can get, you can get, but in evolution climate, because it's limited, you really do have to care about what's happening elsewhere. And the little bit of positive agency feedback, right, where I do something that lets me do more of something in future turns is pretty risky in this game. And that's putting more species down on the table because the card draw mechanism, how you get more agency, playing more cards is going to let you do more things, is the you get four cards at the start of each turn plus one new card for every species in front of you. So it encourages you to go wide, but going wide is really risky because you're going to have smaller species overall meaning that carnivores are going to be more likely to feed on you. And I think to me, that tension uh, is really interesting in the game. It's one of the highlights of the game for me is knowing how, or speculating, because you can't know because of how fuzzy it is, speculating how I can best spend my resources and how much I should push my luck in terms of the size of different populations or pushing into new species. Um, Or even 
should I just hold cards? Do I not need to press my card advantage right now? Because I want to see what develops at the table and using climbing might be, maybe I need to wait and see if the carnivores just play into climbing and not waste that card and adding a trait, just wait a turn, hold off. And I think that's what's so beautiful about the thematic integration of the game is like everything, all the trade-offs feel so natural, right? Like Mm. it just like you're talking about this core tension of going wide versus going tall, right? You can build a single big species that has a lot of different traits that protect it and you make it a really big body size to make it difficult for predators. And that's like a pretty like secure and safe strategy, though you don't get the payoff that you would for having, you know, more species. Um, And just like generally building body size is a little bit safer than building population because population you have to have the food for it. And if the food just like isn't there in the feeding pool to start of the round, then you've just wasted that card for nothing. Um, and like all those things, and, and just the, the way that like you really feel this ecosystem emerge at the table, like that at, at its best, right? Where you have, okay, well now this person is taking advantage of uh, the, the card advantage by having a bunch of little species. So like somebody has to play predator to like clean that up. Uh, and resolve it is like just so thematic, like with what would happen, you know, in real life over, yeah. you know, a millennium of like species, like evolving and interacting with each other in this way. Um, so, I mean, I absolutely love that as a core tension though, in practice, again, like, I don't, I don't want to keep belaboring the same exact point. Like it, it sometimes everything is happening and changing so fast that, you could build the predator to address the fact that somebody's taking advantage of this. But by the time you get to feed, somebody else has already played a predator that didn't exist before. That's now bigger and eats your predators or like a uh, ice age has happened that just like killed your predators because, you know, everyone wanted to move it in that direction. So it's just like too many other factors where it just feels like if this game did less uh, it, you know, in each turn, it maybe was a little bit more incremental Then it would like kind of appeal to like me as like this decision space mm. person a little bit more, but probably to the people that want to play the very political, loud, uh, wild game where crazy stuff is happening every turn less. And, you know, there should definitely be games for both groups of people or the same person that wants to enjoy evolution one night and Hansa Teutonica the next, like our buddy Joe. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I I think it's so interesting for Joe, because I think this might sort of situate the game for other players too, is that to me, when I first played Evolution Climate, it really reminded me of Commander, the format of Magic the Gathering that you're playing in a multiplayer setting. Uh, and that's his background too. He was a big Commander player. So I get why Evolution Climate was this perfect bridge for him to come in to the board game space. And it was a really comfortable place to be where you're focusing on these interesting thematic card combos. Uh, and you're trying to figure out the best way to sort of skirt by and keep your head a little bit under the radar. So people aren't so focused on how they can dismantle your engine at the table, whether it's carnivores coming at you directly or by drying up the food source. Maybe if you went into the big herbivore strategy and you're eating more quickly than other players. Right. Yeah. I I think that's a perfect analogy to, to a game like commander, which, you know, again, is exactly one of those games that, you know, enables politics as like a core function without it being like written into the, 
rules the game although you know of course there's exceptions for magic every time we talk about magic we're like except for the exceptions where you do get to like trade resources or whatever um but yeah i think i think that's a perfect example and i do think this game could function great as a bridge to you know modern board games from somebody who perhaps has only been playing uh and enjoying magic and especially like more casual uh and multiplayer variants of magic the gathering absolutely so should we kind of talk a little bit more about some of the mechanisms in this game that we think are interesting? Yeah, I think that'd be great. Let's let's talk a little bit about the actual like cards themselves and, and drawing cards in this game. Because I do think one thing I love very much in all card games is drawing cards. I think mm-hmm. I've said before on the record that my favorite mechanism in all board games is drawing a card. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm always interested to to see how card drawing is handled. Uh, and it kind of works in an interesting way in evolution climate in that you're always getting a base of four cards on your turn. Is that right, Brendan? Yep. Yeah. And so you get those four cards, but you also get an extra card for each different type of species that you have. And you also no for each species right? in front of you. For each species in front of you, but not for each population of a right. given species. That's right, the right. kind of distinction I'm trying yep. to draw. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. And then finally, lastly, you draw a card when a species of yours becomes extinct based on how many traits it had. So again, you don't get rewarded for the population, though you do get rewarded for the population if it survives. Um, But you do get rewarded for the traits when it's wiped out, meaning if you don't ever grow the population or size of an animal of a species, it's only a net loss of one card when it eventually goes away. If it does. Um, So it's, it's a pretty, what do you think about like the way new cards enter the system in this like varied and variable way? I feel, so I think that the card draw mechanism of going wider and getting you access to more cards makes a ton of sense, right? You need more cards to be able to play into those traits. And it also makes it a really tough decision of when you should go wide because you're vulnerable. You can't focus your resources as broadly necessarily. And it also rewards players who can more effectively manage their populations throughout the game because it means they're being more efficient with the cards that they did have access to, right? They're not playing cards to increase population where they then don't end up eating and then they their species suffer a little bit of extinction, population erosion, right? And then if you increase your population to six and you can only eat four, whether it's an herbivore or a carnivore, you just essentially wasted two cards that had the potential to probably be used better elsewhere. And I think that for me is really interesting. But I will say the card acquisition mechanism itself of simply drawing cards blindly, for some reason in this game specifically, I found to be a little bit frustrating um, when there were specific traits that I was hoping to build into and specific strategies that I wanted to angle for. And the cards would just never come and never come and never Mm. come. And I think it's because the amount of cards sits in this really interesting uh, part of the spectrum of, okay, there's just enough card cards of different types in this game. There's two, excuse me, there's two types of games. There's so few card types in this game that I can generally expect on getting the cards I need at some point, right? because there's just not that many different types of cards or there's so many different types of cards that I'm never going to expect to be able to draw what I need because I, the game is set up such that you can't rely on drawing a specific card. And I think evolution climate is some right in the middle, 
where there's just enough cards that you can't ever expect to draw exactly what you need, but not so many that you're not tempted to try to wait for a specific specific card that would be really beneficial. So you're saying it you don't get what you need, but it feels bad. Or right, you, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> or you do get what you need, but it feels like lucky instead of like skillful. Yeah, exactly. I, I yeah. think I think that's a really smart point. And I think too, with drawing cards in this game, again, it hits to the main point of like just how absolutely like cloudy and variable the decision space is, which is like there's no reliable way to increase your card draw because you could play down the species and then they get wiped out or they could survive um you could you know and choose instead to uh increase the survivability uh, but then nobody plays any carnivores and instead uh or yeah so you want to maybe create more population or whatever because that's going to be safer but nobody played any carnivores and and actually people put a bunch of food cards into the middle watering bowl that take food out so there's you wasted it there and it's just like to me it's too difficult to reliably predict when you're going to have an influx of cards and then of course when your species get wiped out all of a sudden you just have like a crazy influx of cards but instead of feeling like good it just feels chaotic mm. um so I yeah i don't know why I have a theory why. Can I talk to you about it? Yeah, so please explain So the more I played this me. game, I realized that the card design specifically, I think is accentuating this aspect of the game. So I think in a lot of games like this, where you're building an engine and modifying factors about your engine, or even in classic cl- trading card games, um, the cards are, um, how do I want to say this? You have the ability, there's like these sort of external system factors, right? There's the food and the climate that you don't have a lot of control over. We've covered that a lot. But so many of the traits tie directly into those systems, right? Whether it's horns protecting you from carnivores or climbing affecting other climbing, they don't modify anything specifically about your animal until other things about the system, other players have done things themselves that make them important, right? Climbing, the card that says, I can only be eaten by carnivores that also have climbing if I'm an herbivore or if I'm another carnivore, means it's blank until someone else uh, plays a carnivore that doesn't have climbing and then it matters. Um, right. Or the card horns doesn't matter until there's a carnivore at the table. It doesn't change anything about my creature until it becomes meaningful or even cards like, uh, heavy fur, the one that you talked about, Jake, that make it better for you to be in colder environments because it reduces for population loss due to cold, but it increases your population lost due to heat if you just stay in the middle that card doesn't really have an impact it's all modifiers that look at external factors outside of a few cards some of which are my favorite like long neck that allow you to eat whenever plant food is revealed right so there's very few cards that change your species within the context of your species alone i think we're getting to something here i think that's a really great point and as you were talking i was thinking like okay but the the reason i would typically push back on that is that cards are still valuable to you even if they're blank on the board because you can always use it to a just like put it down to create a new species or you could use it to create population or you could use it to increase the size of one of your species and i think that might be like the designer's answer to that Mm -hmm. but the problem is that you need to have those cards out proactively they do nothing to you retroactively like by the time 
you need horns or you need climbing on your species, it's too late if you don't already have it. So it forces you into a situation where like, if you want to get value from this trait, you have to play it when it's worthless. Sure. In, in a lot of cases, of course, late in the game, perhaps there's already a species out there that is a carnivore and then it's, you know, not a blank in your hand. Um, but yeah, and, and the, the exact same with the climate ones, right? Like by the time you need long fur, it's too late if you don't have it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and you could play it the turn earlier and then all of a sudden everybody's raising the temperature and there's like absolutely nothing you can do about that unless I guess you're bantering with your opponents and can convince them to do the thing uh, that helps you more or gain knowledge to feel like you're making an educated guess as opposed to just like a complete guess which is what it feels like a lot in the app when you're playing against faceless opponents. Totally. Which I guess is partially why it emphasizes that thematic feel as well. It's also partially what contributes to the fact that you don't experience the sort of positive agency feedback loop of getting showered with stuff by the game as an engine builder, because so much, so many of the cards aren't changing what you can do in terms of your engine. You're just getting these small incremental advantages for pushing your population up, allowing you to eat more, taking a little bit of risk, uh, most likely. Sometimes you're not taking any risk at all, which is also interesting, right? If the environment gets so hot that you know there's 40 food in the pool in the center, and there's going to be plenty at the table, you're just pushing cards into your population so you can get... Uh, a little bit of Point. piece of that pie. Exactly, yeah. Um, yeah. Which is cool. Let's talk about uh, the the scoring too, because I, I think we haven't specifically touched on it. And I think it, again, it works like so well with the theme and everything this game is trying to pull off, which is like that you get points for all the food you've collected over the course of the game. It's like as simple as could be, uh, you get one point for each population of a surviving species and you get one point for each trait card uh, that you have out on a species. And so like, again, it's, you know, feels like the scoring does a really good job of rewarding thematically exactly what it should reward, like creating species that are able to like survive in this habitat. Uh, and, and also for like, you know, managing your cards efficiently. Um, I, you know, we've been talking about all this Throughout this episode, anytime you use a card for population and then don't eat, that is a wasted card. Uh, anytime you play a new species and then it gets eaten by an opponent's predator, like that, not only is that a wasted card, but it's just like a point for your opponent. Um, so it feels like the scoring does such a good job of tying this theme back into the gameplay in a really satisfying way. I also really like that you score at the very end of the game for trait cards on your surviving species and uh, population because we've talked about how much uncertainty there is in the system. That can feel really impactful at the end of the game, right? Just being situated in the last round, it allows for late later game swings where the extinction events that might happen because of a climate event right before the game ends could be really impactful. And that keeps the game exciting. If someone does sort of get an advantage on the table and kind of starts to run away with it, then everyone's working towards knocking them down. And I, I, I do like that aspect of the scoring system as well. Yeah. Can I ask in your games? Yes. Did you find that there was a runaway leader often or at all? It, it varied. Sometimes it, it there were runaway leaders, but I would say on average, the scoring was pretty tight in my games. How about yours? Yeah, I think in general, pretty tight, but there are definitely games that I had where I just felt out of it from yeah. early on. Yeah. And like if, if the game's only 10 rounds long, um, 
I think 10 rounds, right? It's variable based on the number of cards that are in the deck. So, but it ranges, it's like around there, seven within that range. Right. So either way, like 10 or less. So not very many rounds uh, in the game at all. And it's totally possible. And I know for myself, especially in the climate version of the game, that you could come out of the first round with zero species on the board. And, uh, and an opponent has either one or two positions, based on just like whatever they did with no information at all, uh, you know, going into the round, like the choices they sort of arbitrarily made set them up for success in that round. And the choices that you made did not, you know, if different people had played different things, it would have been differently. But now they have these two species that they are building on and strengthening. And it can create a situation where it's like, you feel like you're just like trying to claw back to get a foothold in this game Uh, the entire time and you're just constantly getting wiped out either by lack of food because like you said the other species are already getting long neck or they're eating gobbling up two food every time they feed uh, or there are big predators out that are just stomping you down every time because you're not you just don't have enough cards to build up a species that's like big enough to even survive it and i think like that could be really rough for especially like that kind of experience makes me like hesitate a little bit from being like, oh yeah, just like show people this and tell them like, this is what modern board games are. Mm. <laughs> Cause I feel yeah. like it's very possible to have a bad play experience this game. And again, I think that one response from people who love this game would say, how thematic is that? Right? Like nature is brutal. Right. And it does feel brutal. And I think that that is one thing that sets this game apart from a lot of the games that we played is how brutal it's willing to treat its players. It's quick. It's definitely the sort of the game you could just play. Let's just play it again. Um, but I think it also, because of the carnivore system and the sort of directly targeting of other players can lead to you feeling picked on a little bit. Um, and if you see the board state differently, maybe feel like it's unfair that you're being picked on. Right. And yeah, exactly. Like there are pivotal moments in this game where like there's one carnival, carnivore left to feed and they're either going to like wipe out your species or your opponents. And if they like go for yours, it's just like, it's brutal, you know, and that could like totally in as early as like round two or three or one, it could honestly cost you the game. And I think that's like pretty tough for me, especially to stomach in a game that does feel as chaotic as this, you know, I don't feel like I, Oh, I like have done this to myself by the choices I made. It feels like, well, yep, of course that happened. But like, had I done this other thing like that very easily could have done me in. Yep, in a different well. way. Yeah. Maybe we should talk about the climate system really quickly. I want to talk about the climate system. And I want to ask, do you like this system overall? The climate system. Yeah. I do like this system overall. I, I think I like it for this game specifically. I think if I was going to play Evolution, I want to play it with the climate system because I really like the way that it adds texture to the food decisions. When you're playing cards face down, I'm now not just making a decision about if I want to add a lot of food, a little bit of food, what card do I want to get up, give up? But I'm weighing that against what's the climate icon on it and how much do I care about that? And it's juxtaposing these different things in interesting ways that for me created some of the most interesting decisions in the game. I also really like how much this system can change the feel of the game. I found myself enjoying more the the cold games 
that everything was really tight and restricted and you you had to it was hard to get multiple species down and you had to be really careful about how much you pushed your population up compared to the much more open and free warm climate where everyone's just slapping cards and species down on the table and the game's kind of running away what about you do you like the system I, I think I have more hesitations than you. I did like the cold games a lot more. And I think that probably just speaks to who we are as yeah, gamers, yeah, where it's sure. like so much easier to like parse what's happening at the table and feel like you're making an informed decision yeah. when everybody's working with just like one or two species with some, a few traits each, as opposed to like five different species, all with like different, it just becomes like a soup out there. Uh, and so I did like that more. I think it also just tells like the climate system tells you where the designers heads are at because it just leans into this like crazy and dynamic gameplay where things can fluctuate a ton from round to round. Uh, I guess the climate does move like a little bit more incrementally, but in the decision, especially in a four player game or more, right? This game plays like up to six people, like even the most you can put in is like four symbols of one color or Mm -hmm. one temperature either hot or cold i believe and that's you know one card out of four so like your ability to actually influence this is fairly slight um and i think like that makes it just another thing that makes things even fuzzier and more random even if it does add texture to that decision and i think like moving forward to a game i haven't played with like the ocean and like the deep cards as being like these other crazy effects that can like come out at the end of the game and like do totally wild and crazy things it seems like that kind of tells you like that is what the designers are going for Mm -hmm. like a rant like a chaotic and somewhat random affair though players still do have agency and ability to be strategic within that like the amount you can it's just limited what were your, well, I will say, I guess I do like the way in which the climate system allows you to interact with certain combinations of species at the table, whether their body size is really large or really small, and gives you a little bit of signposting on which direction you should push in. Um, I, I do like that it gives you the ability to plan a little bit more and gives you, like you said, a little bit less fuzziness. Though even then, because it's so incremental, I've had games where I've been playing and sort of said, okay, this is definitely going to be a cold game. We moved one uh, one direction towards the cold at the start. It seems like everyone's building in that direction. And then the game pushes all the way to the hot. So that can definitely happen too. And that's interesting. Uh, it gives you a different feel. But overall, I agree, Jake. It adds on a lot of the thematic resonance that's already there. And I think it exists mostly just to shake things up when the board state can get kind of stagnant with certain traits and combinations of species and body sizes being out without the climate system to interact with what's sort of come into place and found its equilibrium. Right. Yeah. Um, Brendan, do you have any, I guess I'll give you an opportunity. You, you mentioned your favorite card were the ones that sort of influence the game state on their own, right? And yeah. it doesn't rely on something else being out there. Do you have any other like kind of favorite builds or cards or moments in this game that you want to share? I really like long neck and cooperation for those similar reasons. Um, though I, I will say I also liked the card migratory. Um, migratory is a card that 
says that if the water watering hole is empty at round end, you just get two plant food and it prevents one population loss due to cold slash heat. So it kind of is just this little bit of a hedge. Uh, and I liked that it encouraged me not to put plant food in. It was just fun. And like you said, Jake, every card's pretty thematic. So the idea of just wandering to find this food, I, I, it was fun. Imagining sort of what your species might be given its environment. What are your favorite cards? Yeah, I think my favorite ones were... I actually really enjoyed the uh, challenge of building for carnivores and then like trying to like navigate your way uh, through the defenses of sure. opponents. And I, I think horns is a really interesting card in that it doesn't, it's a, it's a card that uh, actually creates more textured choices as opposed to like so many of the other cards that are just like, you can't do yeah. this where the horns actually gives you an option of like, do you want to attack at a cost? Um, and I found that to be a lot more interesting uh, than, than, you know, some of the other ones that are just like warning call. Nope. You can't do it. And I'm, but that, that's also fun, right? Like you can climb up in a tree and do a warning call to protect the other ones. And I can't attack the one with the warning call. And that's frustrating, um, but it like makes perfect thematic sense. So I think the way like the predator predator and the predator defense cards kind of work together was a fun story to see played out um especially in some of the more the games where you have like more food and more populations coming out on the board and really get the ability to get some of that stuff online uh yeah so definitely a game that tells great stories from play to play um and i think like we keep coming back to it that's really where the strength in this one lies i think that's Really, my closing thought here uh, is, is a game that tells great stories. I think it's a game that will really appeal to people that want to banter and, and be political at the table and and, um, and and try and like use that to their advantage to cut through uh, what I see as sort of an excessive amount of fuzziness in the decision space and maybe a too dynamic decision space overall for what appeals to me and what I play games for. But of course... Uh, that's just me. And, uh, you know, I hope, I know, like, we're obviously on to the fourth re-implementation of this game. So there is a large audience that has been, uh, and it seems to continue to be very receptive to it. And I say, uh, more power to y'all. I, I would love to join your game night and maybe try it out in that setting sometime. That's just not kind of what goes down at my game nights. I think for any player who loves seeing big, exciting moments and doesn't necessarily need to be a part of them or even need to be a part of the winning side of them, Evolution Climate is going to be a huge win for you. Uh, and if you have other players like that, it's going to be great at your table. One more card just that I want to mention really quickly that I really like, Jake, is the card Scavenger. I thought this card was really clever. It says, uh, receive one food every after every carnivore attack. I love that this card, if you played it on an herbivore, it sort of let you blunt the carnivores because you're getting an advantage every time the carnivores are attacking oh, on the yeah, table. Oh yeah, that's a cool one. Yeah, or you could play it on your carnivore and then you just get a two food every time you attack, which that's really interesting. If there's fewer active targets, you can get more out of fewer attacks. It's, it's just... The card design is really clever. Um, and I love the fact that this game sort of illustrated that sort of intrinsic, I'm changing things about me versus the sort of extrinsic system interaction of cards of I'm adapting to what's I think is going to happen. So yeah. yeah, I'm definitely glad to have experienced this game and Same. like seeing how all that plays out on the table. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it the, the, the thematic integration is really like an S tier class from what i what I would consider. So I think too, if like that is something that is your jam, you know, 
perhaps people who's like that's their favorite thing about spirit island is not like necessarily just those decisions but the fact that like everything thematically integrates so well together then maybe this is worth checking out too uh to have as a, as a more casual uh, entry-level game for your collection. Definitely. All right. Well, that is going to do it for this week's episode of Decision Space. As always, uh, we do want to shout out a couple of links and uh, call to action here at the end of the episode. We do have a Patreon set up now. I think we're up to five backers, which is halfway to our goal of 10 backers. Once we get there, we're going to read out everybody's names. Uh, I mean, it's really... Can't say it enough or really put into words, but it means so much to us that people would consider our show worth uh, supporting in, in some small way financially. So you can find that in the link to the subscription or at decisionspacepodcast.com slash Patreon. The other major way to support this show is to rate us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts uh, and leave us a review. Uh, we have, we're, we're still new to podcasting and like figuring this out, but we've been like, absolutely stunned by how high our podcast like shoots up in the charts on days that we get even a singular review it means a ton to our show and and its discoverability so it really helps us out a lot a lot more than you'd think or that we thought at first Uh, so that's super key and then of course you could tell a couple of friends about our show that would be amazing too if you want to talk more with Brendan and I and, and our amazing community and now over 100 people, uh, please join our Discord, which is always linked in the show notes as well. We're always welcoming new people in there, looking for new people to play and discuss games with us. And it's been a total joy to hang out there. We are also on Twitter. Brendan is at BurnsideBH. I'm at Jake Freed. And the show is at Decision Spa. That's Decision SPA. So you can get cozy with us over there. Finally, we have a blog on BGG called Decision Space that Brendan updates every week. Uh, If you want to give us some thumbs there, if that's your main uh, outlet or where you like to interact with the show, that would be awesome too. So that's all our calls to action. Thank you so much for listening and sticking with us all the way to the end. The only thing left to do now is to thank Hembry for their hit song, Reach Out, which they generously allow us to use for our intro and outro music. Bye. Have a good week of all then, y'all. Come close to now.